Hello, I'm, I'm Mark, and I'm a sinner. So you're catching on to this, and that's exactly it, to encourage, uh, as I'm being honest with you, being real, and, and you are affirming um, my honesty here, and I appreciate that. And so as we've been spending time over these weeks of Lent so far, uh, walking through the 12 steps of recovery, being reminded that 100 years ago in a church, a group of people gathered around God's Word. They were in, deeply in addiction and longing for recovery from their brokenness and their pain and their struggles that had caused great damage in their lives to their, those closest to them, that caused damage to their livelihood, caused damage to their souls. And the realization in that Oxford group that it became known that there was only one place to find hope. And that was step number one, realizing they were powerless over their habits and, and addictions, uh, recognizing, number two, that uh, the, the answer to that hope would be found only in Jesus. Uh, not just in a higher power that was generic, but ultimately in the na- name and person and work of Jesus Christ and his power that would meet them through his words. And the recognition to acknowledge by the Spirit's power, turning over our our struggle to that power in Jesus, the one who saves, the one who rescues us. And then step four is we reflected. And by the way, if you had not watched that yet, Pastor Tyler from uh, our mission partner, Family of God, uh, in, in Detroit, as he shared some amazing testimony of what God is doing there and what step number four means to many of those that they are ministering to in the midst of drug addictions and alcohol addictions and homelessness and the power that God can have in places like the streets of Detroit, but also how that carries over to us in our struggles, in our neighborhoods that might be masked and whitewashed in a lot of ways, and yet they're still very much real. Step number four was taking that inventory of our need for what God comes to bring us. Uh, Today, we get to step number five. And here's what it is. Here's step number five. Let's read this together. We admitted to God, to ourselves, and to one another the exact nature of our wrongs. So admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. You you maybe heard that or saw that in, in our gospel reading today. You've got Jesus with Peter, and I always love Peter's life as an example and his calling in Jesus. You go way back to when uh, he's first called by Jesus. Jesus had been teaching uh, the people and they got into the boat and Jesus is teaching there and Jesus said, hey, let's go out fishing. And Peter argues with Jesus, hey, hey, we, uh, we've been fishing all night. The fish aren't, aren't biting. It's a waste of our time. And, and finally Jesus says, no, let's go fishing. And Peter's like, all right, because you say so, we'll go fishing. And And there's that moment where they let the nets down into the lake and this miraculous catch of fish and this reaction that Peter has in the presence of Jesus that he's still trying to figure out who this guy is. Peter falls to the bottom of the boat on his knees and it says, get away from me, Lord. I am a, remember what he says? Sinful man. Yeah. Peter recognizes who he is in the sight of one who knows where the fish are under the water, that's humanly impossible, that maybe this is truly God in this presence. And if Jesus knows where the fish are that can't be seen, what else does Jesus know about what's under the surface level of what Peter was living out in his world, in his life, that clearly Jesus knew his soul, knew his mind, knew his heart, knew his motivations, knew his past, and knew what was behind who he was. 
you know, to be in the presence of Almighty God and to realize that God knows us fully, that's a humbling thing. And our immediate reaction can be, get away from me, Lord, because I'm a, I'm a sinful man. I'm a sinful young lady. I'm a sinful woman. I'm a, I'm a sinful child. And I, I, I'm, I, I don't want to be near you, God, because if, if you know me, there's not a lot of good to focus on here, if I'm honest. Even in my best moments, if I'm honest, am I really, truly motivated by what really is holy, or am I motivated by trying to get attention or selfishness, if we're honest? Get away from me, Lord. I'm a sinner. That was Peter's reaction. Fast forward as Jesus doesn't push him away. Jesus actually invites him to follow. And we have these moments where we have this interaction. And here was one in our gospel reading that we read a few moments ago. And Jesus is telling them, I'm going to go. I'm going to lay down my life. I'm going to die on a cross. He predicts one of those many places where Jesus makes it very clear he is not a victim in this whole act of going the way of a cross. He isn't like uh, just victimized and, and taken away and led away to be crucified. He is willingly is going to go that route, even though through the circumstances of what plays out, it would seem he's a victim, but really God in his love and his mercy, sending his only son into this broken world, would willingly go that way. And Jesus is already declaring it. I'm going to lay down my life on a cross. And there's Peter thinking he's doing a great thing. He speaks up. He says, oh, may it never be, Jesus. <laughs> Come on. You don't talk that way. Don't be silly. We got a good thing going here. Think about how the healing business is going, Jesus. People are flocking to you. It's going really well. They like what you have to say. You're popular. People like hearing what you have to talk about, this kingdom stuff and heaven and everything. Jesus, you are preaching unlike anybody else before. You, you, and, and people trust you. They see it. They see how you can heal those who can't walk. And, and you're doing amazing things. Jesus, stop talking about death. Now, I summarized a little bit there, didn't I? But that's really what he's getting at. And if he's even more honest, Jesus stopped talking about death because it would be very inconvenient for us. We kind of are liking this popularity trend going on here, right? Because it's more about Peter than it is about Jesus at that point. And you hear the strong rebuke of Jesus who turns to Peter in this always strange moment, like, get behind me, Satan. Like, who talks that way? Well, Jesus, the Son of God, says it because he's... Saying it as it is. And he says to Peter, you do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. You fast forward a little bit later, it's, it's Monday Thursday, they're, they're having the Last Supper together. Disciples still don't quite get it, they're still pondering what's ahead, even though Jesus is telling them, I'm going to lay down my life, and there they are, sharing in this moment, and Jesus makes the declaration that that Simon, you are going to deny me three times. And do you remember his reaction? That, oh, I would never deny you. I am willing to die for you. Whatever it takes, I'm there, Jesus. And and yet Jesus says, Simon, I tell you, Peter, I've, I've, I've prayed for you. I've prayed for you. Something beautiful about that statement, isn't there? That Jesus prays for his followers. He intercedes for us. There's a relationship there when we realize that we are sinful, broken human beings in a relationship with a holy God who is leading us and walking a road that would take him 
the way of death in our place. There's something powerful about that. And, and as step five says, you know, to admit to God, well, maybe as we get to know God and to realize he doesn't turn us away when we're honest with him, even as some of the other scriptures like First John 1, we'll dwell on this more next week, says, you know, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just and he will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. There's a, there's a cleansing that happens when we admit our failings and our, our doubts and our fears to Almighty God. That, and maybe for a lot of us that, that comes a little easier because if we've grown to understand God's love for us, we can confess. It's a private thing between us and the Lord. We, we get that. And, and it's maybe a little harder to admit it to ourselves. That maybe we don't have our act together. Maybe we're like the Simon Peter who tries to take control. May it never be, Lord. I'm going to control this according to my plan. And maybe that's your addiction. Maybe it's not to a substance like alcohol or drugs. Or maybe your addiction is power and control. Or maybe it expresses itself in the realization you can't control anything, so you spend a lot of time worrying. And, and you focus more on worrying and the problems of life than you focus on the one who can do something about it, namely your Savior. Maybe that's the nature of your addiction today. But to admit that to ourselves, we haven't trusted, we haven't been faithful. And to come to that realization, that grips, to admit to God, to ourselves, and then to another human being. That's one that's kind of hard. Let's think about what Scripture says about this, and we don't always talk about it very much. Quite frankly, it's one of those sort of lost things often in the church is the idea of having an honesty with another human being. We, we think of it with God, but the actual reality of being truly honest with another human being. Here, here's what Scripture says about that. Let's turn to James chapter 5, verse 16. Let's read this together. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Notice the promise connected here. And the power that comes from confessing to another human being. Um, and this is where we get back to the fact that the 12 steps, they do flow right out of Scripture. This is not just made up out of thin air as, hey, this would be a neat way uh, to figure this all out and find. No, it's from Scripture. These are biblical concepts and here's an example of a verse that clarifies this. Confess or be therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Uh, I want to show you a picture of someone that's kind of important to me. Yeah, um, The guy standing behind me uh, is, I would say, probably my best friend next to my wife in this world. His name is Scott. Um, Scott has been in my life ever since college. Um, our first memories were he, he musician and, and I uh, was at college. I had a, a Bronco 2, four-wheel drive, pretty nice Bronco 2. And, and he was going on a summer tour traveling with his music and he needed somebody to be his roadie. And he knew I had a car that could hold his, his equipment and everything and, and transport it. And, and he says, will you be willing to drive a, several hundred miles with me over two weeks? We're going to travel all over the Midwest and go on tour. And I'm like, yeah, I'm in. You know, and of course, I forgot to ask my parents first, but we got to that eventually. Um, but that was kind of Scott and my first adventure together, and there have been many adventures since. But something that's happened over the years, and he's... Uh, also a pastor who serves in California. Um, pretty much every other day we talk on the phone in person and every day we text 
or email in some capacity. Um, and it's not just about friendship. What it is for us is Scott knows my deep, dark secrets. He knows the things that I'm very excited about and proud of, but he also knows the deep valleys of my spiritual walk and the times when I've been truly ashamed of what I've done or what I've become. And he's aware of those. And, and there's a beauty in coming to grips with the fact that he is someone I can be honest with when he asks the question, how are you, really? And, and to be honest and to know he will listen. And, and, and not just turn me away, but he's there as truly a brother in Christ to be that support that I know I need. And, and likewise for him, I've been that over the years for him. I, I want to read this to you because I found this fascinating because I've realized this is that this does not come easily, does it? Uh, to have someone in our life that we can be that honest with. And I've, I've realized too, you know, it's, it's part of that, that step of recovery is in that biblical understanding that as we confess our sin and our brokenness to each other, there's a power of the light of, of Jesus that shines into those moments that has an amazing spiritual reality of what God is doing in and through that. I, I was reading up on this and fascinating to me. Uh, Bill W., the AA founder, he once said this, that, that step number five is the hardest step of all because it makes us vulnerable and demands our humiliation before another human being. We naturally fear that the one who hears our confession will condemn us. And after confession has been made, however, we discover that people in recovery are the most accepting people on earth, that they're more like us than, than we ever realize, that we're not alone. They listen without judging, even to our darkest secrets, for they have already faced and confessed their own dark secrets to others. And when our darkest, our darkness has been confessed, then God's light can come flooding in. That's a spiritual reality. Who's your Scott? Here's my challenge to you this week. You know, as we walk this road to recovery, and we realize the power of God's promises through His Word, Who's your Scott? Who's the worst person, in, the person in your life that you can be honest and open with? And, and maybe that person's already there. And, and the reality is, is, hey, it's easy to talk about sports. Maybe it's easy to talk about parenting. Maybe it's easy to talk about other subjects, the favorite TV show that you both watch together. But let me challenge you in this. What would it be like to take that to a new level and to say, hey, can I be honest with you about my spiritual walk right now? I need your prayers. Because I guarantee you something, the light of Christ comes shining in in those moments. When friendships and relationships with people, brothers and sisters in Christ, in the church, when, we, when the church becomes what the church was meant to be, a support network of fellow people walking along, not pretending everything's great and everything's wonderful, we're figuring this out, isn't it great that we got our lives together, but when we're honest and we say, no, actually, I don't have my life together. I'm a fellow sinner in need of forgiveness and I need your help to pray for me in my time of need and to be honest with each other and to seek out that Scott or that Susan or that Joy or that person in your life that is that support and to say, would you be willing to pray for me? You know, there's something that happens. The light of Christ floods in and that promise that the Word gives us that healing might begin by the power of Jesus working among his people through his promised word, that he is faithful. 
and a Savior whose eyes are fixed on us and a reminder that we are His. And He's not abandoning us in our need and in our brokenness, but rather as we look to the cross, we see, no, He's done something about it. He's found the way to recovery and ultimate healing is in His presence as we look to His hands and His feet as a Savior who loves us. May we find that tonight. I pray this in Jesus. Pray with me. Lord Jesus, we are fellow sinners on a road to recovery. And we are in need of your grace and your mercy. Lord, we ask you tonight, help open us to that Scott or that person in our life that can be that support. Maybe it's a spouse. Maybe it's a friend. Maybe it's a coworker. Maybe it's a classmate. Lord, to help us to be vulnerable, to be honest, but also to do that for one another as a support as your body, the Christ, a body of Christ, your church, that we might find healing in your presence. Lord, lead us in this difficult step to grow deeper in our faith, in our relationship with each other, in our relationship with you. We pray this, Jesus, as you live, as our Savior, who's walked the road on our behalf. In Jesus' name we pray it. Amen. Amen.